hello, and welcome to Truanon. I'm your host, Brace Belden. My good friend Liz Franzak is unfortunately missing, presumed dead. So tonight, in morning, I called up my old friend Lily Lynch out in Serbia to talk about the Balkans, USAID, sexual slavery, and color revolutions. Enjoy the episode. Kind of weird to do a one man cold open. Yeah. I could. So, welcome to Crank Anchors. Welcome back to True and On. I am running solo. I am inhabiting like the character Two Face from Batman. I am half Liz, half Brace, and we have us here tonight. It's actually evening here, but we have Lily Lynch of the Balkanist. Say hello, Lily. Hi to your adoring fans. Um, our resident Serbian, or Ser- well, you're not Serbian. Our our American correspondent. In Serbia, uh, yeah. or just all over the Balkans? I don't know. Are you are you only based in Serbia, or do you kind of cruise around there? I cruise around. I've lived in like pretty much all the countries in the former Yugoslavia. Okay, my you know I hang out with this guy here, this guy Andre Grubacek, who's fucking uh, his. Really, you know him? Yeah, I hang out with them. Well, I used to hang out with him all the time. Now I hang out with him sometimes. You know that guy? I mean, only. Kind of vaguely. I think his grandfather was like vice president when Tito was in charge. Yeah. Um, Fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He seems like a really cool guy. I was actually looking up. So I guess Tito's grandson is still around. Um, Yes. Yes. He has a very marginal political party here, too. Yeah, that's that's kind of what it seemed like. I just I like one of the things I read is that he right before right after Gaddafi got killed, he sent his condolences. Which oh yeah, same. There was a that's that was a pretty big deal here. Um, when Gaddafi died, this is actually I was I was here when Gaddafi was murdered by, um, and there was a protest, like a pretty significant protest on the main square in Belgrade, and uh, people had like green flags, they had Libyan flags, and like big signs with with a uh, with Gaddafi's face, and um, because uh, Yugoslavia and and uh, uh, and Libya were quite close, there's like some Libyan band that sang in Serbo-Croatian and oh, wow. in Arabic about Gaddafi, but like in the early '80s, these were students in Belgrade, and because obviously Belgrade was the capital of the non-aligned movement, like yes. which Tito co-founded with, with several other world leaders. Or sorry, leaders from the third world, predominantly. So, so uh, for, for those so, of our listeners who don't know, Yugoslavia was made up right. of what countries, Lily? Or with what, what nations, rather, not what countries? Um, that's a good question. Uh, so the, the successor states yeah. of socialist Yugoslavia are uh, Serbia, Croatia, uh Montenegro, Macedonia. Now it's called North Macedonia. Yes. Uh, 
<laughs> that's a whole different story. Uh, Kosovo, Bosnia and Herzegovina. I think, I think I've said. I think I've said it all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's three forty in the morning. If I forgot any nation, that's not because I dislike any one of you. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, Slovenia. A, they come up. They Sorry. come. They go. There's so many of them. Slovenia. Slovenia. Yeah. Sorry, guys. And there was there was actually a. I think there was a Bosnia Herzegovina within Kosovo at one point, if I'm not mistaken. There was like a separate one. It was no. It was called Croatian Bosnia Herzegovina. I've been getting really into the Balkans in the past few days, preparing for this interview. Good. Um, and yeah. So, so you were saying about the Libya protest. So, I imagine people in Serbia are rather sensitive to United States interventions abroad. That's very true. Very true. Yeah. Uh, because there was again for those of our listeners who maybe are a little young and don't remember it, uh, the U.S. actually bombed Serbia. Right. And quite recently, it's important to remember this was 1999. Yeah. So, I mean, most of us were either alive or almost ready to be alive at that time. So, this is living memory for most people. Yeah. Yeah. And and what is the general like? How would you describe the after effects of that bombing? Because it was a pretty intense bombing campaign, and it was it was in Europe too, which I think a lot of people don't fully get. I don't know if they think of the Balkans as like part of Turkey or whatever. Um, but it was, it was a pretty intense bombing campaign. Like hundreds of civilians were killed. There's uh, a big, I don't know. I don't know how big the rumor is over there, but certainly, um, from what I've read online, a lot of people are concerned about like depleted uranium from the U S munitions. Right. And what, what can you tell me about that whole bombing enterprise? I would say it's like a, a wound that hasn't healed at all. It's, it's never been addressed adequately by the international community, in my opinion. Um, there are, what happens when you don't talk about something here is that it kind of becomes um, mythic. Mm-hmm. It, it, it acquires a kind of like mythic, uh, mythical status. So the number of people that were of civilians say that were killed during the bombing has now like become massively inflated by a lot of nationalists yeah. because obviously if you suppress the fact if you don't if say western media outlets don't address it if diplomats refuse to talk about it um uh, if it's not a part of the discussion about reconciliation in former yugoslavia then you know it it, it acquires this kind of like um uh, it, it becomes like the, the defining moment of the entire conflict. Yeah, um, and I would say that it's there's so much like there's an infinite and I'm, I, there's so much to say about it. But um, I, I I'd like to like kind of highlight one or two inc- uh, incidents that I think are important because uh, they set really dangerous precedents what I consider dangerous precedents, and one was the um, deliberate bombing of radio television Serbia. Yeah. Uh, so, like, the the U.S., it's important. So, first of all, the U.S. led this bombing. This yeah, NATO absolutely. Bombing that, Bill Clinton went on stage a bunch of times and talked in favor of it. I've seen a bunch of clips of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, basically, NATO bombed uh a the national broadcaster of Serbia uh, the uh, rationale was that it was putting out propaganda that was dangerous it was um 
that was encouraging the very poisonous nationalism, which it, which it definitely was. It was a mouthpiece for Milosevic. But uh, it killed 16 civilians, journalists, makeup artists, engineers. Um, and a lot of these people, I, I lived next door to a, a gentleman uh, for, for a couple of years. And at the last minute, he switched his uh, shift with the youngest guy who was killed, oh, an engineer. Wow. And so that got young kid died and he didn't. And so he just told me that he like drank himself to death for like a decade out of guilt. Uh, so anyway, sorry, this, that's a bit of a, a tangent, but just to kind of like understand. To humanize how, it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, that's just the, the, that's the human side of it, but there's also like the kind of legal uh, and, um, uh, assessing whether or not this is a war crime. I mean, There's I think of- from my standpoint, it's 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 seems like pretty cut and dry a war crime, right? Right. I mean, I think that a lot of people, even who were supporters of the intervention, uh, will say that that was a war crime. That you shouldn't target journalists under any circumstances. You couldn't. You shouldn't kill journalists, even yeah. if you think they're spreading propaganda. And you, know, you can imagine in this climate today. Yeah. Uh, all this like talk about like RT Russia today um, spreading all kinds of propaganda. If they didn't have nukes, you know, yeah. I don't know. Would we, would we like send like missiles into their headquarters? I, that's what we're kind of um, looking at. Yeah, and it's. I mean, uh, to our to our listeners, we are accepting Jake Tapper and his ilk from this. If they fall off a cliff or something, it's you know, fine. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, just playing. Uh, yeah. So the intervention was due to Milosevic and, and right. his conflict that Serbia had with Kosovo, right? Exactly. So I think most people are under the impression that there was just kind of one war in the in the break of Yugoslavia. It was yeah. one war, but it was actually a series of wars. And this one so, kind of came after all the rest of them. Yeah, exactly. So Kosovo, the Kosovo War in the which began nineteen like late nineties. This is uh, this is like the end of the conflict. Yeah, and um, basically Serbia's security forces and police had been committing like had been first of all repressing the Albanian population in Kosovo, which was the majority of people living in Kosovo are Albanian, mm-hmm. uh, and committing like war crimes undeniably. Um, and the KLA, Uchika uh, fighters, found out very quickly That's how the Kosovo Liberation Army, right? Kosovo Liberation Army, exactly. Yeah, Kosovo Liberation Army. These, this is like kind of the guerrilla group that was formed and uh, to fight Serbian, Serbian forces in Kosovo. Um, they figured out a really good strategy for how to deal with the Serbian police and security forces, they would select like a very kind of small, um, like kind of minor target, like that was a legitimate target, say yeah. like it's not civilians that like, they would, they would kind of like kill uh, some police or kill some, yeah. some soldiers and then expect, no, that Serbia would like massively overreact. Yes. <laughs> So, and like they figured that it's a really smart strategy because, I mean, this is unfortunately like Syria like did like 
overreact um, and, and do terrible things. Um, Which, of course, brings more people over to the KLA's camp. Right, right. Although there, I think, even within the Albanian uh, community, there not everybody was with uh, Hashim Tadshiu, leader of the KLA. Gotcha. Um, and I'd also say that, I mean, one important point that I don't think a lot of people know is Roma, the Roma population, and yeah. the Gorani people. The Gorani people are... Muslims uh, who live in uh, in Kosovo, they were also targeted by the Albanian population. They were seen as collaborators with the Serbs, uh, and so they were. So while you had mass ethnic massive ethnic cleansing of Albanians by Serbian security forces, uh, hundreds of thousands of people uh, into Macedonia and neighboring countries, uh-huh. you had reprisal reprisal kind of style like ethnic cleansing of Serbs. Roma and Goran people. Gotcha. And so all of the Roma, like most of Kosovo's Roma population lives under a bridge in, in Belgrade. Jesus. Yeah, they always, I feel, yeah, it's Europe not kind to their Roma, Roma's population, yeah. especially in Eastern Europe. Western Europe, if they could kill them, they would. Instead, they just fucking put them on planes and send them to other countries. But in places like Ukraine and other places in Eastern Europe, oh I mean, it gets to the level of pogroms. Yeah, exactly. That was fairly recent. The, the, the pogroms against Roma. Yeah. Um, in Serbia, like there's, um, I, they're treated very poorly. Like they are in every other country in the region. Yes. However, there's this kind of sense of solidarity with them because uh, during World War II, the independent fascist state of Croatia, yes, which was like a Nazi-aligned uh, um, puppet state, terrible. Yeah, puppet state. Um, was committing genocide against Jews, Roma, and Serbs, and they died together. So there's always been a sense that Serbs and Roma, when it comes down to it, they suffer together. And there's there's, there's this sort of like, uh, I don't know what it is, but it's just sort of like this this common myth around it, or maybe it's not a myth, uh, that that the Ustashi, which was the, which was the independent state of Croatia's um, like armed force, uh, right. They had concentration camps that made like Auschwitz, you know, look like a fucking holiday camp. Like that's exactly right. I, that's it was, a, yeah, they there they, were literally letters sent from Berlin telling uh, the Ustasha to cool it, yeah, because they were they were too brutal. Yeah, and there's still so, memory of that there. I believe like, it sort of seems to me because that was not that long ago, and and when when Yugoslavia fell apart, it seems like that. A lot of those memories kind of came back. That was a huge part of Milosevic's very successful propaganda because um, the first major conflict was the uh, what Croatia calls the, the Croatian War of Independence, and that's actually accurate for them there. Um, but Milosevic's propaganda was, hey, look, it's 1991, um, West Germany... West Germany and East Germany are uniting again. Um, it's going to happen again. Yeah. So that was a huge part of Milosevic's propaganda. That, that, and by the way, the first countries to recognize Croatia's independence were like Germany, the Vatican. Ooh. So it, 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 it like there was a tremendous amount of kind of um, 
Like you have to remember that at that time there were people, the war was a living memory. Yeah. There were still people alive who had experienced that on both Um, sides. Right. So that was like, and Milosevic really used that as part of his propaganda uh, to to go to war, to defend the Serbian, uh, according to him, to defend the Serbian population in Croatia. And so once the U.S. or excuse me, the NATO, the U.S. led NATO intervention happened, there was a what they what they so ironically call a peacekeeping force that was deployed to the region. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There there were multiple kind of peacekeeping forces led either by like the EU or UN. Um, Some of them are still here. Oh, yeah. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. Kosovo. Oh, yes. yeah, because Kosovo is still not recognized by Serbia. So for those who Correct. don't know, Kosovo is technically not a country, right? Like, I mean, it is in some ways, but it's not rec- – it doesn't have an EU uh, – it doesn't have a UN seat, and it isn't recognized by Serbia, which still claims it's part – that Kosovo is part of Serbia, correct? Exactly, yes. Um, and this is this is pretty much the only issue that – like diplomats and ambassadors or care about is solving the Kosovo-Serbia issue for the next election in the U.S. Like, this this is the main issue. Um, And in in addition to Serbia not recognizing Kosovo, um, there are several member states of the uh, EU that don't recognize Kosovo, Spain, Romania, Slovakia, um, those are, there are three of them. I can't uh, remember anymore because it's like four in the morning. But Absolutely. and then also, of course, Russia and China. Yeah, and like half of the UN does not recognize Kosovo, and this is because Belgrade has this um, because of social its its kind of role um, as a non-aligned country during the Cold War and uh-huh. its relationship in Africa and Asia has kind of managed to like, leverage these relationships to discourage uh, recognition of Kosovo. So, yeah, and, and, and now even there's a the foreign minister is flying to, like, you know, Togo and all these, like, very small countries. Micronesia. And asking them to de-recognize Kosovo. That's kind of a, an initiative. So that, that remains, like, almost a... Kosovo is sort of half recognized. It's recognized by what we would refer to as the West. Yeah. But it's not recognized by half of the Muslim world, um, not recognized by two members of the Security Council. Um, so it's really in limbo and it's pretty shitty for them. Yeah, it's it's in, in Kosovo too, it's it's a lot of members of the KLA are now in government too, right? Yeah, <laughs> the the, the uh, yeah the the like all the top leadership were completely backed by the United States, and they're in like you. It's the same thing in Serbia, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Milosevic's yeah. uh, minister of propaganda is the is the president. Did you almost say dictator there? Yeah, he's, it's a dictate. He's a dictator. Yeah, he's the, Serbia has the worst. Uh, if this is the worst dictatorship in Europe. But anyway, but but yes, in Kosovo, um, uh, you definitely have like a, basically a U.S. like colonial kind of situation. The American ambassador to Kosovo uh, almost every day tweets 
either a green check mark or a red like X when he approves or disapproves of an action taken by the Kosovo government. Wait, what? The ambassador, yeah. the the American ambassador to Kosovo tweets yeah. an emoji. Like he tweets emojis, like green check mark for good, yeah. red for bad. Just like it, it's just a, it's a colonial, neo colonial kind of situation. Um, and and you know he just he'll say like this is a a good uh, move in Parliament, or this this is like not. It, it's just it's it's not. An, it's not a in, fully independent country. Yeah. And, um, you were tell- uh, in any sense. You were telling me that there have been quite a few characters from the 1999 bombings that have returned to Kosovo in other roles, like Madeleine Albright uh, and General Wesley Clark, right? They're yeah. now, they're now, they've now, they've now reared their fucking snake heads as entrepreneurs. It's pretty revolting. Like the, the Clinton administration from, who were in the other everybody from the Kosovo, uh, sorry, the Clinton administration were in power in 1989 have kind of returned to Kosovo, yeah, as entrepreneurs and have been given contracts or built like uh, with to build like roads, um, to, to buy telecommunications companies, and at these like you'd be given they've been given like favorable treatment, these were not transparent contracts. So it's just, it's really kind of makes you very cynical about intervention because you think to yourself, I mean, it's a bit like the invasion of Iraq and and Dick Cheney having like a map of like, you know, which oil fields are going to go to who. Like it's um, this idea that like this ex-secretary of state, Madeleine Albright, was advocating for the bombing NATO bombing, U.S.-led NATO bombing so strongly, and then returns like a decade later or so um, and just to, to make money in this country that is incredibly like poor and um, it just is, it's kind of it raises a lot of red flags and it's pretty morally repugnant and just kind of yeah, it, it needs to be it's a, it's a part of like the question about how about liberal intervention. Yeah. Um, who, I mean, because but that obviously is an extremely um, controversial topic. Well, I mean, it's, it's pretty cut and dry if you think about it this way. They bombed this country, right? And then they sent their troops to make sure this country was semi-independent or basically colonial. And then they come in and then they buy the state telecommunications agency with their private company. Right. Right. And they they put a U.S. military base in Kosovo. Yeah. Um, Camp Juan Steel is there. So there's no, this is like basically saying that Serbia will never reacquire Kosovo. Although, you know, that remains kind of a dream for, for a lot of people who say that they'll just wait until the like global political climate is right to retake it. Yeah, I mean, I, I it it looks to me too, and it, it it reminds me of what they did. They're doing both in Iraq in the north in the Kurdish area, and in Syria in the in the north in the Kurdish area, is is they sort of like put their foot in there, and I mean we'll right. see how that goes. But I mean, at least in the north of Iraq, there is a lot there. When I was there in Iraq, there were a lot of 
let's say, American businessmen, the same type of American businessmen you'd see probably walking down the streets of Pristina or whatever, uh, walking down the streets of Suleimania. Yeah, yeah. Like entrepreneurs, I mean, they're they're war profiteers. Yeah. So we would call them. And like, you know, we have transition prof- uh, profiteers and we have peace profiteers. Yes. Here, you know? And then there's yeah. the people who just, yeah, yeah. Like there's the people who, who make their money off the supply chain from the army. And then there's the people who come in and rebuild what the army has blown up. Mm-hmm. It's, exactly. It's, and in, in during the sort of various interventions in the Balkans too, we can go on, we can talk about DynCorp a little bit. Yeah. Um, so for the listeners who don't know, DynCorp is any, listen, just as a rule, if, if someone calls themselves an aviation cargo company, they are a CIA front group. There is no <laughs> aviation. I was going to say, like, can you come up, like, like, you know, they're, satanic yes like, absolutely just in their name yes you know they're evil. like yeah. it's the rule of things it's like the more kind of like like ba- like kind of basic or simple the name like the more evil the thing yeah. tank, like free air america is, like is it a good example so in yeah. in in when when Dyncourt was there i believe supporting the the so-called stabilization force in bosnia and herzegovina um right a whistleblower named yeah. oh what was his name Ben Johnston filed a yeah. RICO, which is like a fucking like mafia lawsuit against Dynecor in Texas. Do you know you know about that? Yeah, I mean, from what I understand, there was also a woman involved, and they made a movie about her. Yeah, the whistleblower with Rachel Weiss. I think I'm breathing that correctly. Um, woman named Catherine Volkovats. She got kind of. She's American, and then there was an aircraft mechanic. So maybe he's the guy you're talking. Yeah, about. that's Ben Johnston. Both yeah, two whistleblowers. Yeah, what I read about DynCorp is that they it basically offers the military an, an alternative to itself yes. and that they kind of get away with things that the Pentagon wouldn't approve of. It's the, con- it's, it's the, it's, it's, it's the perfect, like, I hate to say the, this word, but it's like the neoliberal army, like dream. It's basically a private, oh. it's privatizing the military, which I mean, fuck the military, private and public parts. But um, yeah, yeah. Like they, you know, they, it's like how uh, what was fucking what was Cheney's company? It's like how Cheney's company did all the fucking uh, Halliburton. you know Halliburton. Halliburton. Of course, it's like how they made you made all the hamburgers on base and constructed mm-hmm. you know the the walls and stuff. DynCorp does all your airplane shit, but they also have, of course, like actual military units in a sort of I think it's called like DynCorp Intelligence or whatever. They have like a separate unit yeah. for them. But yeah, so this guy was an airplane mechanic, and that woman, I think. The woman you're talking about, I believe she was actually a police officer from America who was she over was, there. She was, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. as I think that we're going to get into this part because it, they, Dynecore has multiple uh, sexual, uh, say, sex slavery and sexual assault, sexual misconduct um, uh, accusations against it that have pretty much been like buried as much as possible. I'm, I'm just like, just reading about it a little bit this week. I was sh- shocked, like for the amount of time we spend talking about, um, uh, rape in 
uh, during the Balkan conflict, the way that this is not discussed at all, the, the fact that um, there were cases involving, like from what I understand, like uh, like German, US, UN people and very high ranking people in the United Nations like yeah. knew about it and didn't do anything. Um, and apparently most of these girls were not, not actually uh, local girls, but they were from Romania, Ukraine. They were trafficked. Moldova, yeah. Via plane. <laughs> and you know that it's like a connection. Yeah, that's the, the, the yeah, yeah. There's, there's more than one. It's, it's, so the plane, for our listeners, the plane that trafficked these girls had the yeah. exact same tail number call sign as the Lolita Express. Right. It's not the same plane, but it had the right. same exact call sign, which is like it's that that is that is either the universe or some guy at Langley winking at us. Yeah, exactly. And this is this is Bill Clinton's administration. Exactly. Uh, this is 1999 to 2001. So absolutely. Um, and what's completely crazy about it is uh, most of the the men, I'm assuming predominantly men, who were exploiting these, like, young girls from the Eastern Bloc, uh, they just were sent to different missions. They were assigned the mission. Yeah. And the girls were just sent back to their home countries. Like, nobody faced a, any kind of, like, justice. Or no, there was no justice, no, no reckon, reckoning. Um, and, but, and the company, of course, continued to to like make money and be sent elsewhere to Afghanistan. There's actually, I read, I read there's a report, a BBC reporter witnessed a cause DynCorp was in charge of the Afghan government minister's security, like the various ministers, of the Afghan oh, government, uh, a BBC reporter witnessed a DynCorp security guard slapping an Afghan minister. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know a quote from Ben Johnston, uh, one of the, the, the mechanic who, who was a whistleblower in the DynCorp thing, said he witnessed a uh, co-worker in Bosnia who, quote, weighed 400 pounds and would stick cheeseburgers in his pockets and eat them while he worked. The problem was he would literally fall asleep every five minutes. One time he fell asleep with a torch in his hand and burned a hole through a plastic on an aircraft. He owned a girl who couldn't be, have been more than 14 years old. It's a sick sight to see any grown man have sex with a child, but to see some 45-year-old man who weighs 400 pounds with a little girl, it just makes you sick. Not to fat shame him, but it's like that is the kind of thing that was going on here. These guys were buying girls. Yeah, and and the highly placed UN officials were aware of it and didn't do anything about it. Exactly, and and it's, it's really interesting too is that around this time, Jeffrey Epstein bought a girl from the former Yugoslavia, right. and she was. No, that's actually. I, I want to. That, that's fake news. She's from Slovakia. She's from Slovakia. It, yes, I know, but she's from. Everybody thinks Slovakia is in Yugoslavia, but it's not. But from what I read, is that her family moved to Yugoslavia. Ah, I didn't know that. Well, I thought it was just some kind of like. I, I thought it was some kind of perverse thing that Epstein was doing, like. Oh, you're from a war-torn country, like you know, especially at that time. 
Um, and it looks like some kind of fetish because she has a very Slovakian name. Yeah, Marchinkova. Um, it's it's well, I mean, Slovakians are Slavs too, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, uh, at the time, you know, Yugoslavia was like I guess that would this would have been 1999. Uh, the Kosovo War was on, so yeah. and there had been a decade of of multiple conflicts and sanctions on. Serbia and um, and all kinds of um, horrors and and the fact that he would call her his little Yugoslav yeah. is disgusting. You know the the everything. That's one thing that really struck me about about it that that at that time, like the, the kind of uh, the Yugoslavia was synonymous with war and yeah. like. You know, war like war crimes, atrocities, like a uh, mass rape, um, uh, and he is calling her like his little Yugoslavian. Yeah, it's it's gross. It's so it's dark. It's very dark. It's it's super dark. I mean, I I have I kind of have a theory that they just mixed up Slovakia and Slovenia, and then journalists just kind of ran from it with it because I have some. I've seen some reports that say that she's like born and raised in Yugoslavia, which obviously is not true. I mean, which I guess right. it's not obvious, but it seems like she's Slovakian. I'm not sure where that would come from. Otherwise, her name is definitely Slovakian. Her name, I mean, like she's we. The people were very angry here. Uh, like people from former Yugoslavia when they saw that report, they were in like the Daily Beast. There was a story. I think yeah. I don't know. If- yeah, uh, and and a lot of people were like, you know, whenever uh, like Yugoslavia is called like Soviet Yugoslavia yeah. or whatever, some moron uh, American journalist or commentator, uh, people get up in arms about here, rightfully so. I mean, the the region's been misrepresented a lot. Well, famously, um, but, uh, uh, famously, they were not part of the Soviet bloc. To those listeners who are not familiar, exactly, with they were not aligned. So yes. they were neither with they weren't with the West. And they weren't with the Soviet Union. Yeah, and, and yeah. yeah, you were saying you were saying this sort of functioned as like the West treated them kind of like a buffer state between West and East, but they still like oh. beyond all that had the fourth largest army in Europe. Exactly, exactly. The, the, the JNA, the Yugoslav People's Army, was the fourth biggest army in Europe, and uh, arguably, um, or you know, this is probably why the um, the war ended up like the way it did, because you had this. The, the JNA was Serbian, kind of dominated. It was obviously kind of controlled by Belgrade. So you had JNA soldiers all across the territory of the former Yugoslavia. And so anywhere where there were Serbs, uh, the JNA was either um, participating in what they thought was protecting Serbian populations from people who were trying to declare independence, but committing many war crimes. And they're also aiding Serbian paramilitary groups, um, uh, mostly comprised of like criminals and football hooligans. And they still exist and we'll see what happens. Yeah. There's a pretty large, and I hate to be, I hate to stereotype here, but I have, I have another friend who lives in Serbia, a Kurdish guy, actually. I do. Yeah. He is, he is a, he is a, uh, 
And I don't know if I can. I, it's a Patreon episode. Who's like the Serbian government's not going to listen? He's a Kurdish. He's a. Yeah, uh, they're definitely listening. They're definitely. I just wanted. Oh. I was. I was going to say like they are obsessed with every bit of information. Like they try to buy Facebook accounts. It's, sorry for this tangent. Wait, they didn't they? To- yeah, a little bit of an aside here. Didn't they make a fake version of? Because uh, we didn't really. We didn't mention. We mentioned this earlier, but Lily runs. Uh, online magazine, I want to call it. It's kind of what it seems like right. about right. Uh, about the Balkans. Didn't they make a f- called the Balkanist? I remember. Didn't they make a fake version of your website? Yeah, um, in Russian, Balkanist.ru. Uh, so the, the, they have the exact opposite editorial policy. Uh, they're um, extremely pro-government. And what it appears to be is that they're using the name because it has, like, moderate name recognition outside of Serbia. Yeah. Um, and so they just, like, it, it's a classic, like, really kind of, like, shitty, uh, like, disinformation campaign. Fan- you know, amazing. where they're making kind of mirror sites and trying to, like, create confusion. But I've had people, like, like diplomats contact me and say they were getting... Uh, updates from Balkanist. Are you like on their Telegram? Oh. So like they have some, and they're like, "Is this you?" And no, like yeah. so it's kind of like freaky to be on the radar of like multiple, you know, security agencies. Security Speaking services. of, I would be remiss if we didn't mention this. You have <laughs> a bit of a personal connection to a rather famous story about that that I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know about. About Cuba's hip hop Twitter. <laughs> yeah, those are. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. Uh, I think that before uh, we get into that, I, maybe it would be useful for people to know that uh, I'm so tired. I don't know if I'm repeating myself. Uh, <laughs> it's four fifteen. No but, worries. Uh, I, so the the group that overthrew Milosevic. Um, that kind of comprised students who were like kind of lavishly funded by National Endowment for Democracy um, and, the, you know, basically like CIA light. Um, uh, but, you know, they, they had a, I, I, I don't want to like detract from what, what they did. Um, a lot of what they did was right and Molochev was a horrible dictator. But after the revolution, which the, the the anniversary of the revolution is day after tomorrow, by the way. Okay. Uh, yeah. So after the revolution, uh, the leader, one of the leaders of, of Otpor, um, founded uh, something called Canvas, which is the Center for Applied Nonviolent Struggle. That is a uh, that is the most fucking spook sounding title I've ever heard in my <laughs> life. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. The, yeah, it definitely definitely is. Um, it, so, but what's important here is that uh, they kind of have branded themselves, and with a tremendous amount of help with spooks from like from the United States, space, um, as exporters of revolution. Yeah. So they go like. To countries all around the world. I mean, this is not uh, this is not some kind of secret. It's you can read about them. Uh, there's an article in Foreign Policy called Revolution U, like Revolution University. Um, but they've they've been quite involved, in, like 
South America and in Asia in, I mean, I think like, I, I don't remember the last count of the number of countries, but it's dozens and dozens. Wait, would you think, uh, like I, we're talking color revolution type people here, like exactly. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And in- I, yeah. And just, just, yeah. I mean, and I don't know if the audience knows about what a color, color revolution is, but basically there were movements that occurred predominantly like, at first, mostly, mostly in the Balkans and ex-Soviet states, um, and they were like strongly backed by the U.S. So some example, like the, and and the overthrow of Milosevic was kind of the first color revolution. So the, it kind of becomes the template for the revol- revolutions elsewhere that are backed by the U.S. Um, subsequent uh, color revolutions, like the Orange Revolution in Ukraine, two thousand four. Um, the Rose Revolution in Georgia, and then the Arab Spring later kind of becomes a part of this. Yeah, Ar- the Arab Spring seems to me like, especially in Egypt, to to, yeah. to be like a, an actual like blueprint. Like that went like a, totally according to plan. And and obviously... Uh, they, in what sense? What do you mean by according to plan? Well, I think, I think it meant like, I think... I think that the U.S. government was trying to showcase the use of technology as a tool in these sort of protests. Absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah you're right. Um, and you're right about the personal connection there. I mean, this was so this was the Clinton State Department. They had this they were kind of like high off the fumes of the Obama uh, campaign, which was like heavily and like social media social media was being used like for the first time you yeah. know to kind of promote a candidate so um you had this kind of euphoria around like the possibilities associated with social media to promote democracy and <laughs> it's it's funny i mean uh yeah i mean i i, I when bringing this all back to kind of Serbia's involvement in the entire world, uh, uh, you know, there, there, I lived with somebody uh, who was involved in developing kind of like this, like hashtag activism, you know, like yeah. clicktivism, and he was, um, and uh, so, uh, but if you want, to, it's really important to kind of keep this in mind because it it still influences our experience of social media today. Um, in 2009, um, uh, in Iran, like um, there were protests, yeah. and Hillary State Department reached out to Jack, Jack Dorsey. Oh, my asked, man, the former emo emo poet, Jack Dorsey. Yeah, is that, do people call him that? No, but he like, was a former emo poet. Also, just yeah, b- b- before we get too far into this, it is so funny that people are like, Jack, you got to ban the Nazis, ban the Nazis. I'm like, this oh, is, no. the Twitter is literally just a fucking State Department tool. He, exactly. It's no, not, no, we're going to, we need to, we need to address that. For, that forget I mean, like the 19 follower Pepe accounts, like ban fucking like, uh, there's a lot of other shit they should ban first. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but just to kind of like where this kind of um, State Department, uh, involvement with Twitter starts is during this, I think it was called like the, the Twitter revolution of the green revolution in, uh, in, in Iran 
in 2009, and there was ske- um, Hillary Clinton asked Jack to postpone scheduled maintenance of Twitter's global network uh-huh. so that it wouldn't interrupt uh, like hashtags about mass protests going on surrounding elections in, in Tehran. Yeah. So, I mean, this goes back really far. And remember, like, Russia and China are watching this. Yeah. You know, and they're also Absolutely. thinking, like, how are we going to harness social media? Like, is there a way that we can use this too? So, <clears throat> and of course they, they do. I mean, and um, so that's, uh, that, like, so so Serbs... Um, who were involved overthrowing Milosevic, uh, they, n- not all of them, but one of the main, uh, l- one of the leaders, uh, kind of like, yeah, became an icon of like, um, of like exporting revolution yeah. around the world. And, and then under the Clinton State Department, it becomes like, the internet becomes a, a part of it um, <clears throat> during the Arab Spring. And uh, and then right around that time, I think this was still like around 2009, um, USAID, which is like um, again, I would I would say that it's like it's, it's it's U.S. agency for like international development, and originally it was supposed to kind of be about like helping uh say countries recover from um, from like disasters like yeah. really like kind of all, um it, that hey, kind of thing you, it's it's but literally it, us aid i mean it stands for agency for oh. international development but i mean it's in and and these are the same guys to be clear who are also trying to get that uh those quote unquote supplies off the border to uh, across the border in venezuela yeah yes so yeah exactly um there is a wing of USAID called oti uh, the Office of Transition Initiatives, and their purpose is to um, seize on moments that are already happening happening in countries where they, where the United States disapproves of the, the regime. So they they look for windows of opportunity to get involved, and then do kind of re- do regime change. Yeah, um, and. And I've seen this happen here most recently with Macedonia. That's a whole different story. Um, uh, but uh, they were also very involved in um, in uh, the revolution that overthrew, Milose- uh, overthrew Milosevic. Uh, <clears throat> and they're, they've been highly criticized even by like, members of Congress. Because yeah. what the problem is that like the U.S. is not supposed to favor certain political parties abroad, you know, like they're supposed to kind of respect the sovereignty of countries in elections. Yeah. And we like USA, OCI, like apps, like calls that into question. And so anyway, so what happens with, (laughs) with the immortal, like Castro situation in Cuba, um, is uh like there were there were two operations <clears throat> one is uh like the kind of most embarrassing 
one that most people might have heard about, I don't know, uh, was the attempt to overthrow Castro with pro-democracy hip-hop. Yeah. Let's wait. Let's slow down for a second. I want I want our listeners to get that to overthrow Fidel Castro with pro-democracy hip hop. Yeah. These people are monsters. When I found when this news broke because of the Serbian involvement, I'll get into that in a second. I was like I was at a Mexican restaurant in Odessa. Like and I just like ordered margaritas and I was like, I could not I was like terrified and like laughing at the same time because of this, like, you know, it's a small country and you know who's involved. Um, and there were names in the, in the reports. Um, so anyway, Serbs, because they're, they're perceived as, uh, uh, you know, not a part of they're, they're perceived as anti-West. So they've been able to go places where, uh, say an American wouldn't be able to go and yeah. kind of present themselves as fellow, I don't know, anti-imperialists or whatever. So this, like the U S government sends Serbs, uh, to Cuba, like, to foment unrest using hip hop and starting like a hip hop festival. And the first thing that I thought when I read this, I was like, Serbia has a really shitty hip hop. Oh God. I can only much respect to the Balkans, all my love to Yugoslavia, but it is not a place where you should rap. Absolutely not. I mean, there are a few exceptions I'm going to get in trouble for what I just said. Um, there are a few exceptions, and uh, I I think that you know we all know who they are. But like, like if I was Fidel, yeah, like, I would I'm like why the why are Serbs here like promoting hip hop? Yeah, but what ends up? I mean, obviously the entire operation fails, and unfortunately, a lot of people ended up in prison. Yeah, because a lot well, of Cubans. A lot of Cubans did because they didn't, or not a, like a, a, just a lot Cubans. of, yeah, a lot, yeah, a lot of Cubans did because they were being used by the CIA. Exactly, and and, and, and that's actually like one thing that people don't think about when they, uh, when these like very extremely pro-interventionist people um, get into kind of fights with me, and they never think about either what happens after the revolution. And they never think about what happens uh, to people in the country uh, where, like, should an operation fail? Yeah. And, like, I mean, not that I support these operations, but they did, I just never hear them talk about it. Um, so, <clears throat> so that was one operation that's hilarious. I, I'm, the other is also, I feel bad saying hilarious. Um, but it is in I mean, a way. Sorry, Serbs trying Serbs going to Cuba to try to make a rap festival to overthrow Fidel Castro and the Cuban yeah. government is objectively funny. It's objectively funny, and also like simultaneously, you have like hardcore Serbian ultranationalists who are back at home, yeah, who like, hate the CIA, uh, who are producing videos about how Fidel Castro is secretly a Serb. Oh, I like that theory. Information being suppressed by the Vatican. So like 
it just like anything goes. So whatever. So this is a kind of if you if you want to understand like the the like kind of political spectrum in Serbia, that kind of is a good illustration. Like the liberals who have been co-opted by the CIA doing the CIA's dirty work in you know to try to overthrow Fidel Castro and the ultranationalists who claim like anybody who's ever achieved anything is a Serb. I want so, I will say that the, I I did meet some Kurdish people who uh believed the same thing. Like kind of ultranationalist Kurdish people, it, which I get too because there's also Jews that I know. Well, not that I know, but there's my 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 uh co-religionists out there who say like every like Abraham Lincoln was Jewish. And like Right. Right. No, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, I think like every nationality wants to like cl- wants to claim talented people for themselves. Yeah, but it's kind of a joke in the Balkans that Serbs don't believe that any of these nationalities in neighboring countries are real. Like, so Croats are Catholic Serbs, Macedonians are uh, or like yes, are the Bulgarians. Like, I mean, they, they just believe that. Every nationality is Serbian, but and then Bosniak, Bosniaks like converted to Islam under not in their empire, but they're actually Serbs. Anyway, so but I'm I'm on a, a four a.m. four thirty a.m. tangent, but back to Cuba and Serbs there. Uh, there was another operation where uh, uh, called. <laughs> Zun Zunio, yeah. I think is what it's it reminds called. me of Su Su Studio. Oh my God! Yeah, that song is really—it's fun. Anyway, yeah. but yeah, Zun Zunio. Who who knows who came up with that? Like well, CIA. Apparently, apparently, it is slang for a Cuban. This is according to the Guardian. It is as it was oh. called Zun Zunio, slang for a Cuban hummingbird's tweet. Oh right! So, so it's, it's like a callback to like, Twitter. Like, yes, because the whole point was that it's supposed to be like uh, the, the Cuban Twitter. Yeah, you know. So um, yeah, so and, these guys uh, are making a Cuban so, Twitter. Yeah, yeah. So they made a Cuban Twitter uh, with the uh, the intention. The idea was that um, they could both send out messages to people directly to their phones and also that they could uh, that it would uh, encourage a different kind of communication that was not happening at the level of Castro's of the government of Cuba Um, and I don't know if you like read some of the hilarious tweets not not tweets like the Zoom Zunio like messages that they sent out it's in the US report um i have a few of them and they're just re- so stupid um the libyan national transitional council the support of nato is offering 1.6 million dollar for the capture or killing of Gaddafi. um it's oh my goodness it's so ridiculous this is also remember this is 2009 yeah so this was when um Flash mobs were really cool. This oh, whole idea of flash yes, mobs could they be were. Used. Of course, that the U.S. Like, the U.S. has to like absorb every like youth culture thing, like and so. One of the other messages they sent was that we should plan a party for everyone who's on Zoom Zoomio, so that everyone who is single can find someone. What do you guys think? I think we should. So, and then you know, there's a 
famous revolutionary singer from Cuba affirmed that he is no longer a fervent follower of Fidel Castro. So this, these were like the consent. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm just looking at the, yeah, the report. So they were, um, they so were trying to basically, if I can, if I get this straight, they were trying to get people attracted to this app using this app and then being like, Hey guys, wouldn't it be cool if we did a little flash mob? Yeah. It's, right. Right. Exactly. And it, the idea is like, you know, that, that people start forming um, relationships independent of the government. Right. Which is, which uh, is, they, not, it's just, that's a bad understanding of how Cuba works because I, I spent some right. time in Cuba. There were yeah. not like government officials watching people all the time. Like yeah. people were pretty like, it was, it was one of the most well-adjusted places I've ever been in my life. Like everyone I know in America wants to kill themselves and like is a horrible <laughs> life is totally unhealthy. Like most of the people I met there like just hung out with their neighbors and like smoked cigs all day and like ate. Yeah. Yeah. That's and we had a problem with that. Um and it's it's I mean I what's remarkable is like how kind of like insidious the targeting of yeah. different people is and how they like they divided up the population into people, different groups that would and their level of susceptibility to this kind of propaganda. And that, that was developed in Serbia. Uh the the like the idea that there were just like different levels of uh loyalty to the government. Yeah. Uh, all the way from people who were employed by like, directly by the government to like bloggers and artists and so the, then each each had a different uh, kind of classification and targeting by USA and OTI. So it's really uh, it, it just yeah so I'm looking at it now the, the what the Serbs develops um, committed loyal, passively loyal, neutral, passively non-loyal, committed non-loyal and they use examples of like the professions for each of those categories. So, and they, there were different kinds of kind of targeting for those different groups. Wow. Um, so they just, they yeah. rate these people. It, it, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a reason why I, I, when I see news about a protest on, <laughs> on the TV, my first instinct is to wonder where are the Serbs? <laughs> yes. <laughs> where's where's the hidden hand of the Serbs and all this? So where is the hidden hand of the Serbs and all this? Well, I think at this point, like there's a certain segment of the, like of the people of the kind of population that understands how regime change works and like kind of has read a little bit about color revolutions, and they know the role. Uh, Ot Poor's kind of successors, um, Serbs, uh, pro- prominent Serbs from the 90s, played in, uh, in, in, in these uh, revolutions around the world. Um, mostly they're giving trainings uh, on nonviolent struggle. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then that, that kind of evolved, like I said, under the Clinton um, State Department into how to use the internet as a, you know, to overthrow governments. Yeah. 
Um, so Serbs were training, like any, I mean, Serbs are involved in, in like training and, and providing some kind of like moral, not moral, um, morale boosting. So yeah. like, like we've done, done this, you can too. Right. We overthrew Milosevic and we were very arrogant about it. And so you can, you know, we, we did the most like uh, impressive thing. However, <laughs> the same exact people who they overthrew are back in power today. Exactly. So I, yeah. I like it's, it's, it's not like, it's not like Serbia is this open free democracy. Uh, no. And, and the, yeah, like I said earlier, you know, you had the same, like, very prominent figures from the Milosevic regime uh, in power uh, today. Um, and they were even kind of to the right of Milosevic. Uh, Milosevic was a communist, so the initial protests against Milosevic in 1991 and March 1991 were anti-communist protests led by royalists. Yeah. Uh, and, and so um, the... So yeah, yeah, the, the protests obviously involved evolved with a lot of guidance from the CIA and National Endowment for Democracy into being kind of like about like liberal democracy. Liberal democracy. <laughs> yeah, they're trying. They're, it's it's the same thing. It's, they're trying to do that with the Hong Kong protests as well. You can see, you can see, like in a lot of yeah, the media yeah. coverage from from some of the more uh, spooky outlets. Basically being like, oh, well, they all just want liberal democracy, just like the West has. I'm like, well, are they saying that or are you saying that? Or like you telling them to say that? It's it's it makes you think. I, yeah. Uh, one thing that I that I try to pay attention to when I see these protests now because of like, um, personal and kind of like professional um, experiences here is that, you know, when a protest movement is getting a tremendous amount of press and viral attention that means that there's some level of um of i usually it's just u.s involvement because there are other protests going on um that have happened there was a protest earlier this year a mass protest of, of communists in in india yeah like, and i it was nobody covered that no or, or or you can look at you can look at haiti right now Nobody covers that. And I mean, there are protests daily in Haiti. Big ones, too. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. That's con- because they're not uh, of of importance to the U.S. You know, right now we're trying to, like, flex our muscle like with China. So th- these protests become very important. And you... Um, you see the same kind of thing that happens in every... Uh, a color revolution, which is the elevation of like a kind of charismatic figure. Um, he's not too smart, but he has he somehow is kind of becomes an icon of, of the revolution. Um, and uh, and so I mean, but, but I mean, knowing this, like, what does it like? How does it improve your life? I mean, for me, yeah. in a way. I wish I had the um, the like kind of like innocence of believing that things like democracy and human rights matter. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, what like I, I kind of want that back. I feel like in a way, 
these like years in Serbia, I mean, like maybe it would have been better to not have the, had this like peek behind the curtain. Yeah. I, I, Uh, I know exactly what you like. I wish that like when I saw protesters on TV or on the internet in some of these countries, I, my immediate thought wouldn't be, well, what's my country doing to make this happen? Uh, and what do they want out of it? And how, and even if it's and all, all of these protests, I mean, they do start with the, some kind of like nugget of not even a nugget, usually something that's completely legitimate, like a complaint against the government. that's completely legitimate. Um, but then what happens is they're co-opted by U S interests. The U S rids them of any kind of leftists, uh, and, um, influence gets rid of the people they don't want, uh, and funds the people that are going to cooperate with them the most. Yeah, and so it just, yeah, like it, it and, it, and you want to, like you want to believe in support protesters, you know, instinctively. I do, and um, at the same time, I, I just have this uh, a bit of incredibly cynical because I believe that no matter what, um, despite everyone's best intentions, that uh, the the U.S. is going to handpick who they think is the most compliant and or compromised or willing to work with them, whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred a hundred percent. So we gotta we gotta wrap up in a sec. Um, but you you said that your ex boyfriend worked on on the Zun Zunio project or something close to that, right? Um, he worked. Yeah, my uh, ex fiance and uh, co founder of my publication. Um, he he was uh, involved. Let's just say in. Um, in uh, these kinds of like acts, like sub, like Serbia exporting democracy he was in, yeah. in Trinidad in Egypt during the Arab Spring, and then he was very much a part of like the internet um, utilization of the internet to uh, to overthrow democratic regimes, and you know, um, yeah. So there, there, I, I. I when I get into these arguments with people on uh, on Twitter, say about how you know it's terrible to say that all of these protests are backed by the CIA, and of course it's not. Um, that's a really blanket statement, and it's like it's much more complicated than that. But I mean, I know what is going on. I, I lived it, and. Uh, so so yeah that's yeah true. i yeah i i i know what you mean sometimes i don't know in my in my darker moments late at night i'm like was i used by the cia like no that's the thing that we're all controlled opposition i like it's it's we think about like okay the usaid the cia made this twitter for cubans right what mm-hmm. the fuck makes people think that they're not just doing this to us like twitter is zun zunio for americans it is. It is, and you, and you know that the Atlantic Council, which is linked to NATO, of course, uh, it's in the, has been put in has partnered with like the Facebook and and Twitter to combat the uh, disinformation yeah. around elections. 
So we're getting an incredibly sanitized uh, version of, of world events. And I mean, not uh, yeah, if we had time to get into Ukraine, I could talk about that more. But uh, we I obviously, you know, we, we talked a lot. But but I, I would say when you, when you, what you said about like, was I used by the CIA? That's of, like we're like uh, this kind of, I don't want to end on a negative note, but this despairing kind of feeling that I have is that there's no way out and that we're all playing a role and that there's, and that we're all controlled opposition in some way. Yeah. I, wow. Yeah. I mean, I like to think that, I mean, I, I, in terms of, in terms of social media, I don't think there's really like any other way to put it than that. In terms of like the one, the one good thing is that like, I mean, I know everyone says it's like, you know, nobody like 3% of the population or whatever is on Twitter. A lot of people on Facebook, but they don't really use it to anything much. Like no one really uses Facebook. Like, but it's, it's everywhere. Like, it's not just like we're, we get false information or whatever, or, or specifically, uh, you know, sanitized information on Twitter. It's also like all news agencies too are like really entwined with the government. And like, it's we're taught to see any sort of alternative news agencies as, as cranks because they're not CNN or whatever. And it's, it's, it's difficult. And, and what I like to think is like, what I don't like to think, what I do think is that if things got really like, if things really started to heat up here, like yeah. you would, it would be a very different ecology on, on social media. And we would not be like, it wouldn't just be like, you know, if there was mass civil unrest in the U S it would not be the same social media landscape you see today. It would be very, you know, it would be more, let's say, obvious what's going on. You So you think people would be reporting, like, there would be no way around, like, lying about what's going on? Well, I think, I mean, it's it's like, you know, you got to you gotta take this, like, if there was whatever, a revolutionary situation in the United States, I guarantee some enterprising person at some intelligence agency would be like, I'm going to create and market an app that is totally that is going to say it's encrypted and that is only for use in this revolutionary activity. It's like how I think oh, Signal is sure. a honeypot, yeah, yeah, yeah. or the That's, dark I mean, web is a honeypot. Any kind of revolution, you have some oligarch or some yeah. tyke who decides, all right, I'm going to like in, invest in the revolutionaries. Exactly. And yeah, it's investment. That's that's yeah. That definitely happens. I mean, I think that and and for sure it would happen in America because of this like, this you know, entrepreneurial spirit that we have. (laughs) Allegedly, allegedly. Uh, I mean, well, well, not allegedly. Like for sure. (laughs) Well, that's what allegedly really means. (laughs) Yeah, but that's that's a hopeful note to end it on. Um, I think that. Yeah, that's, I mean, I wish we, like, there's so much to say about if such a situation happened in the U.S. and, like, comparativism, yeah. like, what's happening in, what happened in Yugoslavia from the time Tito died to, uh, to the beginning of the war, but. By the way, I, think- I want to make it clear, R.I.P. Tito, a true king. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We're, uh, uh, we're like, He's he's controversial and beloved. I mean, like the Yuga nostalgia here is is raging. People had a much better quality of life. Absolutely. Than, you know, yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us, Lily, or for joining me, I guess. Well, no, for joining us. You joined You joined us. And I cannot wait to talk about Ukraine with you soon. Really? Okay. I, I hope Liz feels better. She will. I'll, I'm going to inject her with this special vitamin B formula mixed with adrenochrome that I got from baby's blood. All right, so get some sleep. Great. It's probably like five in the morning there. Uh, it is five in the morning. It is five. It is. Look at that. I'm a genius. Uh, and I'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Do you have anything you want to promote? Abs- not nothing. Perfect. <laughs> Go to the balkanist.net. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right. Okay. We'll see you, Lily. Thank you. Bye. See ya. Thank you so much in joining me in bugging a woman in the middle of the night on the phone. <laughs> That's the true and on way. Uh, I am your host, Brace Belden. We are missing uh, my fellow uh, Croatian nationalist host, Liz Franzak. She will be returning next episode. But always, I am enjoined by my eternal life partner, ex-husband, and future son, producer Young Chomsky. We'll see you next week. And you should- you maybe give the Liz uh, bye-bye. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll do the Liz. Bye-bye. bye-bye.